Thank you so much for being, amen, here midweek Wednesday. We're so excited about all the great things God is doing. And uh, there is, you know, there's so much to be excited about and uh, so much to look forward to. And we are in our series that we have been uh, now, we're ha- over halfway through, and uh, we're doing the 10 Habits of Highly Healthy Homes. And uh, those of you that have been here for the first five, uh, you've already, you kind of already know what to expect. You know, we're talking about the Ten Commandments and uh, how that applies to our lives. And tonight is going to be no different. Tonight we are going to be discussing uh, the Sixth Commandment, which is uh, our habit number six, and it's called Value the Individual. It comes from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. In the New Living Translation, it says this. It says, do not murder. Do not murder. By the, average, uh, by the time that the average North American child has reached sixth grade, uh, they have already witnessed over 8,000 murders, and they have watched 100,000 acts of violence on television. More kids die from violence than do from illness, and nearly 2 million North Americans will become uh, violent crime victims in the uh, upcoming year. Every 20 seconds, somebody's beaten, somebody's stabbed, somebody's shot, somebody's raped or killed in the United States and Canada. So what is the problem? And some of you are probably thinking, Pastor, you know, we can really skip over this one because, like, I mean, we may tell a lie every once in a while or we may, you know, cheat on one or two lines of our taxes, but do not murder. I think we got this one figured out. And probably your urge to murder doesn't happen very often, except when you're in traffic. But we don't have any hitmen in our church. Uh, There's no plans for uh, a crossroads mafia. Um, (laughs) But this is the deal. Clarence Darrow once said, I haven't killed anybody, but I've read a, a lot of obituaries with glee. The sixth command that we read in Exodus here seems like it should be very straightforward, but actually it's very misinterpreted, it's misapplied, and it's often misunderstood. And in its basic form, this command states that no one but God has the right to take the life of an innocent human being. God creates and sustains man, and he alone has the right to number man's days or to determine when a person should die. So before we look at what this command does teach, let's take a look at what it does not teach, okay? So first of all, and I'm going to just tell you, I could probably take uh, about three or four weeks just on this one command because there's a lot to it and there's a lot at stake right now in our society uh, with just this command. But three things that this command does not teach. Number one, it does not prohibit killing of animals. Um, this, the, you know, the Bible is very clear about the difference between human life and animal life. And many times, uh, God commanded that animals be sacrificed, and he is not contradicting himself in this commandment. Uh, so Genesis 9.3 says, Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. And so for those of you, and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, be too offensive here, but for those of you who want to be vegetarians, awesome, go ahead, do it, be a vegetarian, uh, but you don't have to be unless you want to be. It's not a command in the Bible, and it is okay for us to eat animals, all right? Thank goodness, right, for most of us, because uh, those chickens are delicious. Number two, it does not prohibit capital punishment. Many times in Scripture, God commands capital punishment, and so that we can maintain order in our society, he's allowed human governments to enforce the law and to punish wrong, uh, wrongful doers. In Leviticus 24, verse 17, anyone who commits murder shall be put to death. And so the principle is a life for a life. Romans 13, 4, the state is there to serve God for your benefit. The authorities are there to serve God. They carry out God's revenge by punishing wrongdoers. The Hebrew phrase that you see here, uh, lo, and I'm, I'm 
not going to say it correctly, but it's it's T R A T Z A C H Lotratzak uh, is the sixth commandment, which means no wrongful killing. It teaches that we've got to uh, not, you know, just judicially take an innocent life, uh, but it's in accordance with the biblical principle that an accused person is innocent until proven guilty. God wants justice in his world, and he demands swift justice, but our system appeals of appeals has really kind of gotten out of control and has made quite a mockery of that. When, when U.S. President William McKinley was assassinated, his killer was caught, convicted, and executed 53 days later. You think that that would happen today? No, it wouldn't. In fact, when Ted Bundy was finally executed after killing so many women, it was 11 years after the crime. U.S. taxpayers had paid for his room and board for all those years, and that's not really justice. Some people say, well, I don't think capital punishment really deters criminals. It deters the one that's executed. He's not going to rape or murder anybody else. Why not just give them a life sentence? Because a criminal given a life sentence in North America is now only in prison for an average of eight years. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, justice delayed is justice denied. All right, so number three, I'm going to keep moving because some of you are like, well, you already messed up my, you know, I thought we were no, that's, God was not saying that we should not have capital punishment. Number three, it does not prohibit going to war. Amen, all the soldiers said amen. Uh, God sent his people to war many times. In fact, his word teaches us that there are some things worth fighting and even worth dying for. It's right to fight in order to preserve freedom, to defend innocent people, or to stop the spread of evil. Ecclesiastes 3.8, there is a time for war. German Protestant minister Martin Neimoller said this about the Nazis. He said, when Hitler attacked the Jews, I was not a Jew, therefore I was not concerned. And when Hitler attacked the Catholics, I was not a Catholic, and therefore I was not concerned. And when Hitler attacked the Union and the industrialists, I was not a member of the unions and I was not concerned. And then Hitler attacked me in the Protestant church and there was nobody left to be concerned. Think about it. Edmund Burke said the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. For good men to do nothing. So let's talk about five ways because we're talking about valuing the individual. Let's talk about five ways that God does that. Five ways that God esteems the individual. So what does the command do not murder have to do with my family? And some of you are like, I know exactly what it has because I've wanted to, you know, I told my kids, I brought you into this world and I will take you out. No, you see, the very first murder actually happened in a family when Cain killed his brother Abel, right? In fact, Today's most violent crimes and murders are committed by one family member against another. So when you feel that hatred or that bitterness rise up in you, you're not so far from the first murder. But the Sixth Commandment has a much wider view than just the act of murder, and it includes any attitude or action that leads society in the direction of murder. God is saying, value the individual, and this is how we do that. So there's five applications of God's sixth commandment, and we're going to talk about those. And uh, so I'm going to just tell you right up front that a few of them are, you're, you're going to have an issue with. You don't think you will, but you will. And you really will if, yeah, you'll just see. Number one, God says no to murder. The most obvious meaning of this commandment is that we're not supposed to kill another person. The prohibition against murder appears in all five books of the Torah. In fact, it's the only law to be repeated in every one of the books. Obviously, this is important to God. You may believe that murder is wrong because society says so. But then, you would have to respect that in Nazi Germany and much of Eastern Europe, it was acceptable to kill Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, the severely retarded, and any other group that they deemed inferior. Hitler came to power through the democratic process and 
the support of the people kept him in power. In fact, German society said that murder was acceptable. There are societies today where it is acceptable to murder certain ethnic groups. That is what happened in Bosnia. That is what happened in Darfur. And their society says murder is acceptable. It's okay. You talk to some of our missionaries and you'll find out that even in Liberia and places uh, that you, you, know, you wouldn't even think now, uh, they have recently had civil wars where uh, in the civil war one class was against another class and it became okay to kill members of the opposing classes. And we don't think about that. We don't really consider that. Uh, but we need, to, we need to realize that the fact is something approved of by a society does not make it objectively right. Just because society is okay with it does not mean that God is okay with it. And so we have to be very clear when we, uh, when we are looking at the scripture and we're trying to apply it to our lives. You know, because society may be okay with something, but that doesn't mean that God is okay with it. Murder is not wrong because society says so, but because God says so. Murder is wrong because it's, life is a gift from God. It's not just because society says you'll go to jail for it. Every murder is a direct attack on God. Genesis 9, 6, uh, it says you must execute anyone who murders another person for to kill a person is to kill a living being made in God's image. The only thing, you know, and, and again, um, I'm sorry, I know that this is not, I'm just going to just be very honest with you. There's going to be parts of tonight that, that are just not politically correct. It's just going to be that way, but they're going to be biblically correct, just not politically correct. So in our society now, um, there are, we, we glorify this, we glorify murder, we glorify violence. And there are shows, there are movies, uh, they, they, just a few years ago, you're going to, it's going to be coming out in March, but just a few years ago, they, they pretty much sidelined a movie because it was so controversial. And guess what? They're bringing it back out in March. And I'm not going to tell you the title of the movie. All I'll say is you'll know it when it comes out and you'll remember pastor said something about uh, this, is, this is what we do in our society. And if we're leaning this direction that it's okay to hunt and murder people. Anywho, I'm going to just leave it at that. They, this was so controversial a couple years ago. Now it's acceptable. Now it's okay. Now we're putting it out. I just want you to be aware of this. Our society is pushing us toward murder's okay in some instances. And if we deem it okay, it's, it's going to be all right because of these things. Uh, we have to understand that the only thing that keeps the North American murder rate down is the increase of the prison population, which has quadrupled in the last 25 years. And not only that, but also modern medical technology has helped. You know, think about it. A wound that would have killed 9 out of 10 soldiers in World War II, uh, 9 out of 10 would survive today because of the metal, medical technology that we have. And by a very conservative estimate, if we had 1940-level medical technology, our murder rate would be 10 times higher than what it is today. We must constantly guard our families against this movie mentality that devalues human life. About 350 characters appear each night on prime television, with an average of seven of them being murdered every night. If this rate was, in, was actual reality, then in two months, everyone in North America would be killed. The last one left could finally turn off the TV, and we could realize that life to Hollywood is very cheap. David Grossman is a military psychologist. He coined the term killology. Some of you have probably heard of this. Uh, you've probably read some of the study, but the study is basically the methods and psychological effects of training army recruits to circumvent their natural inhibitions of killing fellow human beings. Except in sociopaths, killing requires training because there's a built-in aversion in every species to killing one's own kind. Grossman states unequivocally that the same tactics used in training soldiers are at work in our media. 
Every time a child sees a violent movie or plays a violent interactive video game, he's learning the exact same conditioned reflex skills as a soldier or a police officer in training. Grossman's complete article, Train to Kill, is currently available online. Uh, if you like the link, I will share it with you. But this is something that we have to be aware of because the Journal of American Medical Association has published a definitive study on the impact of television violence. And their statistics show that in every nation, region, or city where television has been introduced, that there's an immediate explosion of violence on the playground. And within 15 years, there's a doubling of the murder rate. And you say, well, why 15 years? Because that's how long it takes for a desensitized three- to five-year-old to reach the prime crime age, which is 18- to 20-year-olds. Rachel Scott, which was the victim, one of the victims at Columbine, wrote this poem just days before her murder. She said, I'm drowning in my own lake of despair. I'm choking my hands wrapped around my neck. I'm dying quickly. My soul leaves. Slowly my body withers. It isn't suicide. I consider it homicide. The world you have created has led to my death. So, number one, God says no to murder. Number two, God says no to suicide. I'm just going to be very honest with you. This is, uh, you've probably heard me say this if you've been here for the last couple months. Uh, this, this huge spike in suicide is very alarming to me. The suicide rate among people ages 10 to 24 uh, years old has climbed 56% between 2007 and 2017. According to the report from Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the suicide rate among children ages 10 to 14 has nearly tripled from 2007 to 2017, while the suicide rate among older teenagers has increased by 76%. We have this data now that shows us, even in just 2018 alone, 48,344 Americans died by suicide, while over 1,400,000 people attempted it in 2018. The suicide rate has increased from 33% in 1999 through 2017, from 10.5 to 14 suicides per every 100,000 people. And rates have increased more sharply now since 2006. Suicide ranks as the fourth leading cause of death for people ages 35 to 54. But it's the second leading cause for 10 to 34-year-olds. I looked today on preventing suicide for the, uh, on the CDC's website. And this was from September 5th. 2019. Don't, don't, don't get upset. This part isn't politically correct, but this is the truth. This is not my fact. This is what uh, CDC says. Lesbian, gay, and bisexual kids are three times more likely to attempt, uh, attempt suicide than, homo than heterosexual kids. 41% of transgender adults attempt suicide. I want you just to think about it. On average, one person dies by suicide every 11 minutes, two since I've been teaching tonight. That means approximately every 30 seconds, somebody in the U.S. is trying to commit suicide, and one out of every 25 succeed. Some people think, it's my life. I have the right to do what I, what I want to do and live it how I want to live it. But the Bible disagrees with that concept. Job 14 and verse 5 says, Our time on earth is brief. The number of our days is already decided by you. Romans 14, 7, We are not our own bosses to live and die as we ourselves might choose. Our bodies are not to do with as we wish. God decides our number of days. He knows how long we're going to live, and He doesn't want us to try to short-circuit our lifespan. Suicidal behaviors are also prohibited by the Sixth Commandment. And uh, let me just go a little further and say promiscuous sex in the age of uh, the, the diseases like AIDS that we have right now and drunk driving and 
uh, drug abuse and overeating and not taking care of our health, all these are suicidal behaviors. Most of us at, at different times have probably felt enough despair to wonder, is my life even worth living? If you are or have considered suicide, you need to remember that there is hope. There is hope for you. I know that things may seem rough, but there is hope for you. Amen. And it's found in Jesus Christ. It's not found anywhere else. You can't find it in a pill or a bottle. You can't find it in a relationship outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is hope for you. Amen. Don't, don't do something that you'll, uh, you'll never even be able to regret. Do it. Don't, don't think about doing it because you, you want to just get out. There is hope for you. And there, that is not a way out. There's no, there's no out of that. You matter to God. If you, if you stand on the beach and you watch the tide go out, you know, when the tide goes out, you see all the little imperfections in the beach and all the little pebbles and all that stuff. And sometimes the beach looks ugly when the tide's out. And sometimes you, you're, you're, your momentum is gone and your uh, hope is gone. But guess what? If you'll just hold on long enough, the tide will come back in. Amen? The sun will shine again after the darkness. I promise you. Amen? Wait for the tide to come back in. So number three is not only does God say no to murder, not only does God say no to suicide, but God says no to mercy killing. The technical term for mercy killing is euthanasia. It means to cause the death of someone because of deformity, old age, or an incurable disease. It does not refer to allowing death to occur naturally by removing artificial life support. So for those of you that you say, I don't know, I could never do that. No, that's not what it's talking about. Mercy killing has received a great deal of favorable press in North America, mainly due to the efforts of Michigan Dr. Jack Kevorkian. He, he coined the term uh, obituary, and this is basically his, his practice of physician-assisted suicide. He's known as Dr. Death. Many of you probably heard. He left so many bodies in hotel rooms that the motel association complained about the cost of cleaning up after him. It's pretty bad, right? He finally went too far allowing one of his assisted suicides to be filmed and aired on U.S. television, and so as a result, he was convicted of second-degree murder by Michigan court and sentenced to 10 to 25 years in prison. And you know, even with that being said, 55% of Americans believe the jury should have never convicted him. If the current trend towards legalizing assisted suicide continues, he will probably become a martyr and people will want to take up that cause. And Diane Culberson in USA Today said, if Kevorkian's type of killer medicine becomes accepted, what horrors the future could hold? This progression or the progression is obvious from assisted death to suggesting death to insisting on death. Euthanasia was, is legal in Belgium, Canada, Colombia, and Luxembourg. Uh, Switzerland, Germany, and six U.S. states allow assisted suicide in certain cases. That's according to CBS News. Euthanasia is illegal in most of the United States, but assisted suicide and assisted death is legal in Washington, D.C., and in the states of California, Colorado, Oregon, Vermont, and Maine, all effective January 1st, 2020. New Jersey, Hawaii, and Washington, uh, and its status is disputed in Montana, though currently authorized uh, per Montana Supreme Court ruling in Baxter versus Montana. 1997, Oregon was the first U.S. state to allow physician-assisted suicide for those given six months or less to live, but it's now legal in those other states. It's an unbelievable scenario, right? No, not really. What many North Americans don't realize is that another country has run the full spectrum now when it comes to euthanasia. Mercy killing has been practiced in Holland for the past 20 years. Tony Snow in the Washington Times said, most requests for euthanasia in the Netherlands come not from patients, but from their families. It's the ultimate form of baby boomer selfishness. If mom and dad seem less vibrant and more expensive than they did in the good old days, Dutch kids get on the phone and summon the angels of death. There are, there's story after story. You can read it online. There's so many stories of these doctors that are called in, 20, 30 family members standing around the bed, and they're all, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's weird. 
I mean, it's just weird to read. And these doctors then have to deal with nightmares because what they're doing is not, is not what God has intended. January 22nd, 2019, John Berger wrote, years after the Netherlands decriminalized euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide, more than 25% of all deaths in the nation are induced rather than by illness or natural causes. 25% of deaths. That, that just, I, I just couldn't believe it. Based on statistics from 2017, it includes almost, I want you to get this, 6,600 cases of euthanasia, 1,900 suicides, and some 32,000 people killed through a practice called palliative sedation, according to an article in The Guardian. And this is, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm floored. 2015 Dutch statistics revealed that 431 patients were killed by doctors who never even asked for euthanasia. In June of 2000, the Christian Science Monitor reported that the Dutch government considered a proposed law that would allow uh, uh, terminally ill children as young as 12 to request mercy killing or assisted suicide, even if their parents objected. Almost 80% of Dutch physicians have now had this bad experience with euthanasia, and those who do kill often report their nightmares because they're taking on a responsibility God never intended them to have. Only God has the right to determine who should stop living. Job 12.10, it is God who directs the lives of his creatures. Every man's life is in his power. Amen? So God says no to mercy killing in Next, I'm going to do probably the most controversial one, and you'll know why in just a moment. God says no to abortion. I want to show you a picture. Uh, this picture is not graphic. Go ahead and put this picture up. So this is uh, a picture of a young missionary child. Last year, March the 26, 2019, we were at the hospital with Luke and Samantha Campbell while they had to do emergency surgery on Samantha and they had to bring Asher into the world. He was two months early. He weighed four pounds, was 10 ounces, and uh, was 17 inches long. That was him almost a year ago. This is him just on Valentine's Day. This is a miracle. There's even more to the miracle than I've, I've shared with you. Most of you know the story about Samantha. She was stabbed brutally when she was uh, a teenager, and they, the doctors told her she would never have a child. Well, God has other plans. And uh, I want to show you this, uh, this video, and this is not Asher, but this is a, a handsome little boy named Eli. He was born recently to Jason and Emily. He arrived 13 weeks early, 2.7 pounds. I want you to see this. It's Christmas morning. I started to have contractions. The doctor came in and examined me and found out that I was completely dilated and that this baby was going to be born today and there was nothing else that they could do. He was born at two pounds and seven ounces, was 14 and a half inches long. He had a breathing tube, all kinds of cords and wires all over his body because he couldn't really do anything on his own. So the day after Eli was born, the nurse went to go check on him and they found blood in his breathing tube. The neonatologist, after 10 minutes or so, came to me and said, this is, this is super serious. There's blood in his lungs. We don't know what's going to happen. I went back and told Emily, and we both cried together, and we prayed together, and, you know, I, we came to the realization that we need to pray and have faith that whatever happens is what is, is supposed to happen. The next morning, the 
Alex came and visited us. It was a super long night. And uh, she said, you know, he made it. We're, we're going to be okay. Before Eli was born, I hadn't had very many big trials in my life. And having to go through that, I definitely had to rely on God and had to trust in my faith through many times. Because there were a lot of times that were scary, and I just didn't know if I was going to be able to bring my baby home. Through this experience with Eli, my faith was tested. You know, I, it wasn't easy. I had to really think about, I mean, do, do, I, do I believe what I say I believe? Now I want you just to hold that picture of that little boy walking in your mind. Can you fathom that this precious little life that has brought such joy to his parents already would have possibly been a candidate for abortion while he was still in the womb? This year, on planet Earth, there will be 56 million children aborted. At least two out of every ten pregnancies in North America end in abortion. That's one for every 15 to 20 seconds. Since 1973, when Roe v. Wade became uh, the, the law, 61,628,500 184 children and counting have been aborted. That's more deaths than all this century's wars put together. This year, nearly 500 babies in North America will continue to live even after they are cruelly aborted. 98% of abortions are not because of rape or incest or because the life of the mother is being threatened. They occur simply because the mother feels that the child will be inconvenient to her lifestyle. From a human viewpoint, we may have unplanned pregnancies, but there are no accidental conceptions with God. No matter what the circumstances are of the conception, God can bring good out of it. A pro-abortion bumper sticker says, every child a wanted child. The fallacy of that is that God does want every child. There is no such thing as an unwanted child with God. These terminations of human life are justified by our self-centered culture, which sees a fetus as a blob of tissue. But God alone reserves the right to decide when or what makes someone a human person. And this was the greatest uh, error of slavery the four arguments set forth by the U.S. Supreme Court in the 1857 case of Dred Scott is A, slaves are human but not persons. B, slaves become legal persons only after they are set free. C, before then, slaves have no legal rights. And D, a slaveholder has the right to choose what to do with his property, including slaves. These arguments were wrong because the court was stepping into the sacred arena of life and taking away the personhood of an entire class of Americans. Though this decree was later nullified by an act of Congress, the precedent had been set, and it's obvious that the Supreme Court did not learn its lesson because they once again took away the personhood of an entire class of Americans in the 1973 case of Norma McCorvey, better known by her alias Jane Roe. In doing so, they advance the same four arguments. A, preborns are human but not persons. B, babies become legal persons only after they are born. C, before then, babies have no legal rights. D, a woman has the right to choose what to do with her own body, including the fetus. Denying personhood to human beings was wrong in 1857. Denying personhood to human beings is still wrong today. Why? Because God says it breaks the sixth commandment because you're taking a life. And I'm going to just go just a little bit further. Samuel Armas, maybe you have heard about Samuel Armas, maybe you haven't. But I want you to look at this photo that was taken of a baby that was 21 weeks old, that's 21 weeks after conception. 
the brave parents are allowing him to, they, they allowed him to go undergo this surgery to close a gap in his spine because he was diagnosed with uh, spina bifida. And although everybody else recommended abortion, that was not a consideration for Alex and Julie Armas, his parents. You see pictures? There you go. Keep, keep going. That's not him. Keep going. Sorry. This is Samuel. I want you to see a few pictures because this, this is a, like, these miniature instruments had to be created in order to do this surgery on Samuel. And it was performed as a cesarean section. Many of you remember this picture. You, it was, I, I kind of zoomed in on it. I didn't want to show everything because some of you have already seen this, but this is a very popular picture. Okay, some of you know this. Uh, Dr. Bruner was probing the incision and it happened, this baby's fully developed hand, just leave it on that picture, wrapped itself around the finger of the surgeon and held on. This picture was sent around the world to most media outlets, but the liberal media elite have refused to run it. Why? Well, because it's an unmistakable reminder that growing in the womb of every mother is a baby, not a product of conception. But a human person with an eternal soul being, it's formed in the image of God. Fortunately for Samuel, abortion was not an alternative for their family. His mother said, we have always believed life begins at conception and we never wavered. Not even when it was actually our decision to make and not mere words that we say. Said so my husband's first words after we received the news, well, well, we wanted a baby and this is the one God has chosen to give us. During the highly sensitive operation, Dr. Brunner even had to tell his staff, shh, you'll wake the baby. Little Samuel was delivered from the womb at 36 weeks on December 2nd, 1999. He did not have to spend any time in a neonatal unit. He went home on Monday, December the 6th. His neurosurgeon was very optimistic. His brain malformation had resolved and he was moving his legs very well, all things considered. With some physical therapy, he now has a pretty normal life. You can go and show some of these other pictures. And he could have been aborted. That's what the doctors were recommending. But he looks like a pretty normal guy today. Go ahead and go to the next one. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16, New Living Translation. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And by now, you are probably understanding that abortion is not really okay with God. So let me... Let me press the issue a little bit, and I know that this is going to make some of you uncomfortable. I hope that you don't take it the wrong way. I would never, in my wildest imagination, try to tell you who to vote for. But do you know what's on the docket this year? A presidential election. A presidential election, one in that you may not like the president. But this president has a, a record, a proven record, of not only being pro-life, but supporting pro-life decisions and pro-life initiatives. A presidential election where every other contender, Republican and Democrat, is for Roe versus Wade. Oh, Pastor, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, really? Some of the top Democratic candidates have been asked this, is there room for pro-life Democrats in your party? Do you know what the response was? I don't even know if there is such a thing as a pro-life Democrat anymore. Being a Democrat, you, I'm, and I'm quoting, being a Democrat should be synonymous with pro-choice. Now, again, don't, don't believe me. Don't take my word for it. Please, please, by all means, Google it. Find out for yourself. Look up the, look up the records. 
I have no, I'm not trying to influence, I'm just telling you what's on the, what's, what's at stake. So here's my deal. If we're Christian, how can we vote for somebody who wants to allow children to be killed? How can we do that? How can you do that and sleep at night? I don't know. Because my Bible says that we are supposed to be examples of what Jesus is, right? And Jesus says, this is not okay. This is not all right. Killing children is not all right with me. I'm sorry, I get very emotional about this. This is something that I, I just, I don't understand. If, if you have candidates who say, I am pro-choice and I will, I will stand for a woman's right to kill her baby if that's what she wants to do. How can you vote for somebody like that? I mean, I guess you can, but you really can't call yourself a Christian. Because that's not Christian. Maybe some of you are thinking, Pastor, this has absolutely nothing to do with my family. Really? So we should value all the individuals, just not the unborn ones? I don't think our president's perfect. But one thing you can't deny is the guy is standing up for the rights of the unborn Americans. Amen. Well, we got to value the individual. That's what God says. Here's the last one. Number five, God says no to verbal abuse. This is probably one of the hardest ones because all of us deal with this uh, at some facet of our life. Child abuse cases in America have seen a staggering rise over the, uh, 1,700% since the 1970s. Many abortionists claim that the dramatic rise in abortions during the last 30 years would practically eliminate such abuse. But they were obviously sadly mistaken. As well, the American divorce rate has increased by more than five times in the same period, with more than 200 now occurring on a daily basis. Our homes have become a battleground, and verbal abuse is the weapon of choice in many families. And Jesus taught that there is little difference between murder, gossip, and verbal abuse. They all flow from the same source, a hateful heart. They all kill. There's more than one way to murder somebody. Here's what Jesus said about command number six in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have learned that our forefathers were told, do not commit murder. Anyone who commits murder must be brought to judgment. But what I tell you is this, anyone who nurses anger against his brother must be brought to judgment. If he abuses his brother, he must answer for it to the court. If he sneers at him, he will have to answer for it in the fires of hell. This tells how you really feel, Jesus. When an unresolved anger is present in a relationship, it will not rest until it has displayed itself in a hateful attitude that demeans the other person. The Aramaic word raka that appears in the King James Version means good for nothing. When murderers kill, they usurp God's right to measure a man's days. But when abusers kill, they usurp God's right to measure a man's worth. We need to understand that John, 1 John 3.15 says, If you hate each other, you are murderers. And we know that murderers do not have eternal life. A Christian home shouldn't be like every other home. A Christian home should not exemplify this kind of behavior. So what happens whenever we have these inevitable conflicts? Here are some things that we can do if we want to have proper fights. You say, well, I, you know, you don't understand. We, we, every family, every home is going to have fights. But we need to know how to fight fairly. Okay? Here's some great pointers, Christian pointers, on how to have fights. F stands for face each other. Face each other. Walking off or involving yourself in something else leaves no room for discussion because you are absent. Don't walk away and just... You know, if you need to cool down, walk away for a minute, but make sure you come back to it. Don't just leave it unresolved. Proverbs 15.1, a kind answer soothes angry feelings, but harsh words stirs them up. Face each other. I is ignore distractions. Ignore distractions. Don't resort to rabbit trails to throw your spouse off the subject 
or keep them from facing the facts, keep you from having, having to admit where you are. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Mm -hmm. G is for guard your tongue. Once personal attacks or name-calling begin, your spouse is too busy defending themselves to listen to you. So James 3.6, New Living Translation, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It can turn the entire course of your life into a blazing flame of destruction, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Be careful. Guard your tongue. Don't... <laughs> I heard somebody say one time, it's not fun until you bring the family into it. Don't, don't bring the family into it, you know. Don't start talking about their mom and, you know, your dad and, no, don't, don't do it. Man. Further, well, yeah. I'm just going to keep moving. Halt the history is H. Halt the history. Bringing up the past tells your spouse, uh, tells your spouse nothing is going to change. I'm always going to bring this up. If you keep bringing up the past, that's, that's, they're, they're going to never feel like they are truly forgiven. Luke 6.37, Jesus said, don't judge others and God won't judge you. Don't be hard on others and God won't be hard on you. Forgive others and God will forgive you. You can't really forgive unless you let it go. If you keep bringing it up, you haven't truly forgiven. Some of you are like, I wish my spouse would hear that right now. You, you've got to forgive if you want to be forgiven. Don't bring it back up again. If you bring it back up, you never really let it go. Halt the history. T is for touch. Somehow this position softens the heart, making us more vulnerable, reasonable, and caring. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another curse each other or even be rude instead be kind and merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ now having said that let me warn you touch needs to have timing because you know some people I've seen some people try to touch when the other one is super angry and that is not a good time don't be reaching over trying to grab my hand when I'm mad you know jerk away and Anybody know what I'm talking about? There is a right time to reach over and, and touch their hand or put your hand on their back. You, you just got to be careful. You got to make sure it's the right time. You jump that too soon, it's going to be bad. You might get more than you bargained. All right. S is for stay in there. Surgeons can't quit while there's an open wound or they invite infection. Just like they have to finish, you need to finish that fight the same day. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, and don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. Amen. you got to fight fair. Do you ever feel like you've broken this sixth commandment in some way? Well, if you didn't value the individual in the way that God says, we become murderers in his sight, right? But the good news is that God forgives murderers if they'll repent. In fact, most of the Bible were written by three men who were once murderers. Paul, David, and Moses. All those guys were murderers. I mean, read the story. Like, they all have skeletons literally in the closet. And God forgave them, and I'm just telling you, if, if 1 John 1, 9 is accurate, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the point is, make sure that you start today valuing the individual. See that God sees every person, every life, every soul as valuable. Amen? And so one of the things that you can do, and one of the things, one of the ways that I have, I'm trying even more, because I'm just like you, there are days when I do better than others. There are some days when traffic, you know, oh, I just, I just can't take it, you know. I had this guy the other day, and I was, I was 
I was just not moving fast enough for him. And I, I promise you, there was so much rage. I mean, that guy had so much rage coming out of his truck. And I, I just, I couldn't even understand it. Literally, I was maybe in front of his handicapped parking spot for about two seconds. And he's waving and <laughs> I'm like, dude, I got to go way over there because there's no parking at Kroger. You know, and you're getting ready to pull into this spot right here. I'll move. Just give me a second. You know, I don't want to run the old lady in front of me down. But he was so mad. And I just got to thinking about how, like, sometimes I'm, and, and, and after I saw him do that, I thought, is that how ridiculous I look when I'm going off on people for their silly driving? And it helps me to, to remember that when I look at other people, I am looking, literally, I'm looking at the image of God. We are made in his image. And so there may be times where I am tempted to go off and to just be crazy uh, with rage and uh, with just these violent thoughts of, you know, you idiot and just, you know, but what would Jesus do? Right? I mean, we never see... Uh, Jesus approached even even the Pharisees like the the worst that Jesus ever did was like he called them some names but they had it coming he flipped over some tables but nobody got hurt and there are times when you are going to feel like losing your cool but at the same time you have to remember these people are made in the image of God and I have to value them I have to look at them the way that Jesus sees them so value the individual I bet you didn't know that we could get so much out of three words, do not murder. Do not murder. It's a lot. There's a lot in there. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. We are four sessions away from having all ten habits, so please stick with us. And, and uh, if you haven't, if you didn't get the first five, they are uh, online. You can watch them online. And uh, we encourage you to do that. But I do want to just uh, encourage you to be here this weekend. We're going to have a great time. Saturday night we have prayer at 7 o'clock for everybody that can come. Uh, so join us for prayer. We're praying together. And uh, we want to see God do some incredible things. Uh, young people are meeting tomorrow. And they're already, they're already in there. But I believe it's in between or Friday. I'm sorry. Yeah, Thursday brain. Uh, Friday at like... Four o'clock, they're supposed to meet here for KYC, so if, if you're a parent and you're wondering, they're taking off at four o'clock, be here at 3.30. So uh, there you go. So that's what you need to do. All right, and if you have tithes and offerings, you want to leave those, you can do that tonight as we dismiss, and I think that's all I needed to mention. All right, Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and lives. And God, I pray that you'd help us to more than ever before value the individual, Lord, value the people that you've placed in our lives and not to look at people as less than us, but God, that we would value them as uh, people that are made in your image and God, that we would uh, love them and pray for them, God, and care about those who you have uh, allowed our lives to intersect with. And God, through that, that we would draw them closer to you and we would give you the glory and the praise for their lives and for their souls being saved. And God, we thank you for what you're going to do in advance in Jesus' name. Amen.